it should be so simple. It's supposed to be so simple. Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends, Karen. Oh, hey. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. Hello. Hello. Oh, folks, if you could have heard our conversation about two minutes ago of the... <laughs> collo- entertained. The colloquialisms of older generations and other cultures. <laughs> Uh, some of some of which today would have a hard time feeling appropriate for a Bible study podcast. Oh, some of it was some of it is pretty funny when you when you bring up words from from days of yore. <laughs> oh, it t- it took us a second here to get uh, to get our brains engaged again. Funny, funny stuff. Oh, cutting room floor. Well, it would have been cutting room floor stuff, but we hadn't pushed the record button. Oh, gosh, but. So, but anyway, speaking of discussions, uh, we're gonna. I think we'll just get into it today. We'll just we'll just jump right in for a change. We'll keep we'll keep our mothers happy, and uh, <laughs> keep the chatter down to a minimum. If I'll stop talking and rambling here. Oh no! Don't stop that. This is great. This is a marvelous <laughs> monologue. <laughs> Reminds me of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. One time, he's like, "Ah, you tell me to shut up, I'll shut up." Because when you say "shut up," I want to shut up. I'll stop talking. You tell me to shut up, I will shut up. <laughs> Did you write that scene? I no, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, we are we're in the book of Zechariah. We are starting with the book uh, with the chapter. <laughs> we are in the book of Zechariah, and this week we are starting with chapter seven. Now, the context of Zechariah is that the Israelites are back from Babylon. They have been starting to build the temple. Uh, We were talking a while back about how even though they were sent to do it, they were uh, kind of reluctant to really start. or They sort of got started and then fizzled out and kind of got going again. But all of this is happening during the reign of Darius of Babylon. Now, you might remember Darius as the king who uh, was in charge when Daniel was put in the lion's den. I'm having a little trouble in my mind, keep figuring out how all this timeline works out. But I guess, um, yeah, I guess I, 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 I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter that much. But just but having that context of knowing of knowing who who was doing what when uh, sometimes helps. Now, Zechariah has been kind of an interesting read already because he's had a few of those mushroom pizza dreams that we've talked about before. Although I think maybe his mushrooms were maybe slightly less potent than, uh, oh, who was it that we were talking about before with the mushrooms? Um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Yeah, Ezekiel's Ezekiel's dreams were were very, very, very strange and sometimes hard to follow. Zechariah's had a few of his own that were a little odd, but for the most part... They're fairly straightforward, and and you're able to follow them. But it is a lot of God speaking through Zechariah with specific messages to the people of the time. But a lot of those messages seem to kind of, in my mind anyway, they seem to point forward maybe almost more to end times than to the immediate uh, uh, population. But yet, like prophecy so often does, it seems like it's there to embolden the people to of the time to straighten up their act and understand also that there is stuff coming yeah i agree with you it's it's kind of neat how even though there's all this apocalyptic type prophecy and and things like that it has a very very gospel feel to it like the the good news is in there like three verse four says behold i've caused your iniquity to pass from you and i've clothed you in white raiment you know things like that that are very reminiscent of the gospels Mm-hmm. Or looking forward to the Gospels. Yeah, yeah. And so as we get into chapter 7, one of the things I've liked about Zechariah is that we've been getting some very specific dates of when these things happen. I like that I like that we get those dates because it gives us a little context. Even though when they say fourth year of Darius and the fourth day of the ninth month, I don't 100% know what that means. But I do know that if, if I felt so inclined i could probably research that a little bit and get a real specific time frame of when this was happening but just the idea that 
that some that when this was being written, they had the, the knowledge to say, you know what, it would be good for us to write down exactly when this prophecy happened. Well, and as we read a little further, we see that the um, it mentions uh, fast days becoming party days, mm -hmm. you know, as they transition from, you know, their era of struggle to an era of greatness. And I actually went and looked those up. So when we get there, I'm ready. Okay. All right. <laughs> Karen is prepared. So I have this, I found this article that's really helpful. Try, its main focus is trying to pin down some of the dates in Ezra. And I wonder if I could put that up somehow on the website or something, because mm -hmm. it's super oh. helpful. Uh, and one of the things it's doing is trying to show the correlation between different calendars and how like the Egyptians had one set of calendars and like they never took into account the leap year. Um, they had a very accurate lunar calendar, but not a very accurate solar calendar. And they knew about the movements of the sun, of course, but they didn't correlate their monthly calendar with that. And so it talks about how some of their spring festivals would eventually end up in like August. And then, you know, through time, how the calendar keeps changing until finally we get, you know, this Gregorian calendar and, and set up, you know, the A, ADBC system, et cetera. So it's really interesting. Maybe people might want to look at that. Yeah, send me the link and I'll 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 put it up on the Facebook page. Okay. Or better yet, I'll just set all you guys up as admins and you can do it. But uh, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> either way, we'll 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 work that part out. All right. So chapter seven of Zechariah it begins by telling us this is in the fourth year of Darius, in the fourth day, the ninth month of his reign. Or no, uh, it's in that year, the fourth day of the ninth month. But at any rate, uh, some people sent some men to the temple to ask if they should fast in the fifth month, as they say, as they have done for many years, which was interesting because I guess it, it gives us some indication that even while people were in exile, there were some who still were trying, I guess, to, to maintain some of the, uh, what's the words I want to use the, the traditions and rituals that they had been, that they had probably brought with them from uh, from Jerusalem and Judah into exile as much as they could. I'm sure under the, you know, the watchful eye of, um, Babylon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and we don't, well, I don't think we ever really got a, an indication that the Babylonians told them they couldn't have their religion. In fact, I think, uh, maybe an episode or two ago, we saw that, that they really didn't care about the religion at all. They were perfectly fine with allowing them to do it. Uh, their, the whole thing of the conquest was more of just taking them out of their physical location, which kind of puts you off balance, I suppose. But but not so much trying to – they weren't so much breaking down their culture by telling them they couldn't do anything. It was more just of a by integrating all these people together from all – all over the place and kind of i guess you sort of end up with a soup of of traditions and cultures all together why does that sound why does that sound familiar <laughs> you mean the like melting pot, the, the melting pot, pot of the united yeah, states yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I do remember us discussing though that on their first run through of captivity they took sort of the the top echelons of society mm -hmm. and that's an interesting way of taking people over to my way of thinking you're 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 taking the leaders that the average citizen admires so you're going to leave the average citizen behind without a shepherd right and people mm -hmm. tend to need shepherds so that's one way to look at it and then when they got the upper echelon to babylon they tested them and they took the very smartest ones and trained them into their ranks so they weren't they didn't have any problem bringing in other perspectives because even as an old man daniel was still worshiping the god of israel he's still opening his east facing window and you know praying three times a day facing the temple because he can't go to the temple so right. they they never tried to curtail how he worshiped or who he worshiped except <laughs> when they were trying to get the king in trouble so they could throw him in a lion's den but yeah. You know that he'd been there his whole life basically at that point that's that's pretty cool so they mm -hmm. wanted the good and they didn't take the things <clears throat> that were important to you away you know i think too i think it's the whole thing we had talked about earlier on is the whole integration and how babylon did that by uh, by wanting to be that 
dominant world leader is that they incorporated all the other people with them and, and took the best of what they had to offer and, and integrated in, into their society. And I think by doing that, they were able to see that, you know what, maybe their religion wasn't such a, I guess, a huge, a huge thing that was going to prevent that from happening. So then after they became probably pretty used to them, I, I think, you know, after that first wave and seeing what they were about, that they, you know, just let it continue. And it was something that they were able to integrate and say, okay, you know what, as long as you're serving the realm, then go ahead, do your thing. And I think that's kind of what made that 70 years um, more tolerable. Because if you look back when when we were prepping and they were getting ready for it, God said, just go do it. Go, just go do your time and, you know, and and listen to what they what they have to say. Follow it. Don't go against it. Don't go to Egypt. Just do your time, do your thing and come back. Right. Right. It's a little bit of a render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God. You know, it's it's a little bit of that mentality, like unless your secular government tells you you can't worship, you know, what, you know, why are you going to, or orders you to do evil mm-hmm. or blatantly encourages evil. Like there, there are some times when people go, hey, hey, ruling, ruling class, like, hey, you know, knock it off. But for the most part, you know, if a, if a government is hands off, and doesn't order its, you know, get doesn't get too involved in people's personal lives. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. And and so, <clears throat> like if you think of the rare the rare moments that stand out to me, one we just mentioned briefly, which is Daniel in the lion's den, that was an anomaly because it was specifically written in as a temporary law, specifically to get Daniel in trouble because they knew he wouldn't obey it. Okay, so what's the other big example from Babylon? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Mm-hmm. And and they, again, that order to worship something other than God was an anomaly. You know, the king had had this dream. He didn't remember the dream. Daniel tells him the dream, interprets the dream. You, O king, are the head of gold. He's like, screw that. I want to be more than the head of gold. I'm going to build a whole thing of gold. You know, I'm going to build a whole a statue of gold and I'm going to I'm going to rule forever. Everybody show up and worship this statue of meat. It's meat, right? And then again, that that random order to worship something other than God was a one-off. And the Hebrews stuck out like a sore thumb when it happened. Yeah, and so as we're as we're beginning this chapter then, we're seeing that we're seeing that people did keeps up some of the traditions. But God's response to this is kind of interesting because he says you know they're saying should we fast like we have been fasting when we were in babylon and god comes back and says well were you really fasting for me and i think he even if i remember right he even says it were you fasting for me like really were you fasting for me or were you doing it for yourselves was this more were you just making it to doing it to make yourselves feel good i love it how often we do run across what what appears to be sarcasm on God's part. <laughs> Every um, once in like a while, God has a pretty it's a good God sense of humor. gift. <laughs> Yay! The gift of sarcasm. <laughs> Yay! That's awesome. <laughs> I would just like to take this moment to say that recently, my local church sent out a little survey, and it said, "Do you know what your spiritual gifts are?" And I hmm. said, "Yes, my number one gift is sarcasm." <laughs> it, it wasn't on the list so in order to check the box i had to add it to the list and make a box which i did yeah pencil it in huh but look how it but look how it calls people out like yeah yes, were you worshiping me or was that just a great feast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um so can i tell can i tell what i found out about the fourth and the fifth and the seventh and the what was it was it yeah we're in the um, fifth, seventh month, and we're, there's a there's a place where it mentions fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth, or something like that, and that's where I that's where I was. I looked up all four of those. It's in that's in in eight, but I think we could talk about it here. All right. So all right, let me let me get to my interwebs. <laughs> so I can't pronounce some of these words, so I just saved it. Okay, there are days when the entire Jewish people fast because of the calamities that occurred on those dates. 
to arouse their hearts and inspire them to the paths of teshuva. All right. So there were four dates on which fasts were instituted because of the um, be well, because of various reasons. There's a list of reasons. The third of Tishrei, the 10th of Tevis, the 17th of Tammuz, and the 9th of Av. Okay, so the fourth, when Zechariah refers to the fast of the fourth month, that's Tammuz. The fast of the fifth month is Av. The fast of the seventh month is Tishrei, and the fast of the 10th month is Tevis. So, and then, and then it goes into reasons for the fast. So the one in Tammuz, right? So the, the fourth month, there are five reasons for the fast and they got added over the, over the decades and centuries. The first reason, it was the day that the tablets of the 10 commandments were broken. Oh, wow. Interesting, huh? Yeah. In the era of the first Bez Hamikdash, the offering of the daily sacrifice ceased. In the war leading to the destruction of the second Bees Hamikdash, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. Right? See, so it kind of goes on. They add things, major things that happened around then, they get added. And uh, it's just, that's basically what it is. So I thought it was kind of cool how God says, you know, he's going to turn turn your, your fast days essentially into feast days. Yeah. So, so if you know that about the history, then that they were all based on calamitous events and they were meant to have the people stop and remember and become like patriotically intense about it and hopefully spiritually intense as well. But I think mostly patriotically intense would be how that would affect most people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. It gave a little bit deeper flavor to what was being said here to me. Yeah. So which one was the feast for the fifth month then? The fifth month was the fifth month was Av. Are you asking its meaning? Yeah, because the, specifically, it's the fifth month, the fast of the fifth month that they're that they're bringing out here in chapter seven. I don't know. I'd have to look that up separately. It doesn't look like no. it's listed here. They listed no. the first one by way of example, but okay. then they didn't go into the details of the others. Okay, it might have just been interesting to know why they were talking about this one. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, if you do, just chime in. So, yeah, God is calling them out, should, you know, asking, did you really fast for me? Was it for yourself? And then he comes back and says, shouldn't you have obeyed what I proclaimed when Jerusalem was prosperous? So if we think back to 70-ish years ago, when well, I guess even before that, you know, shouldn't the people then have been uh, obeying what I was asking for? Instead of waiting until things got bad for you to actually start trying to do something. And and so he's like, shouldn't you have obeyed what I proclaimed when, when it was prosperous? And, and goes right into, uh, you didn't. And so that's why you had to get, uh, why I had to basically disband you. Okay, I found it. So the fast of the fifth month is a 24-hour fast observed first and foremost to commemorate the destruction of both. So at this point in history, it's only one, but eventually it became both the first and second temples of Jerusalem in 586 BCE and 70 CE, respectively, first by the Babylonians, subsequently by the Romans. So that's interesting. So what they're wanting to commemorate with their fasting in the fifth month is the destruction of the temple. And now we're in a time when it's been being rebuilt and they're trying, they're wanting to remember when, uh, when it was taken down. So here's what it says. Those twin destructions, which at this point it's one, mark the day as a time of sorrow and mourning forever, marked by solemnness and fasting without food or drink for 24 hours. The customs associated with Shiva, Jewish mourning for the death of a close relative are followed. And the Book of Lamentations is read in a special mournful chant. So, 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 if I'm interpreting this correctly, then they're saying, should we commemorate the destruction of the temple? And God is basically saying, shouldn't you have been listening before this temple was ever destroyed in the first place? And 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 
he God isn't necessarily valuing this this fast that they're talking about. He would like to like to see them recognize that uh, they should have just been paying attention all along before it had to be before it had to be uh, uh, destroyed or before it was destroyed. Interesting. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, getting that that little extra context is good. I love the way it talks about it towards the um, sort of the end of, oh, I jumped too far ahead. But anyway, he, the Lord is saying, you know, I will sow them among a people. I will, and then they will remember me from a far country. Um, I will bring them again out of the land of captivity and bring them again to their homeland. And I will be with them as they pass through affliction, et cetera. And I think, you know, we read these passages and sometimes forget that even in the midst of this, the whole thing was meant to be redemptive. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah. I love that because that is always how he deals with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and while they're, while they're wanting to focus on this negative aspect, God is trying to get them to focus more outwardly, get them then to focus where he always wanted them to, to focus. And he says, uh, I am just kind of like to read it here. A couple of verses in chapter seven, verses nine and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. So that's really, that's the message that God was always trying to get them to listen to before yes. before the temple was destroyed, before they got uh, scattered, before they got pulled to Babylon. So it, it's it's a large, a lot of it here is like, God saying, no, I really don't want you to commemorate the failure. I just want you to do what I've always asked you to do in the first place. So, yeah, I love. Thank you, Karen, for bringing that uh, that uh, that perspective into there, because that that cleared some stuff up there that I was um, I was a little cloudy on. Yeah. And this, I, I think this whole thing is a, just a big old divine spanking. Right. Like mm-hmm. people. I'm your dad. I'm over here. Pay attention. Right. And then enough time passes. They don't learn. They don't learn. They don't learn. They're getting off track. They're getting off track. They're getting off track. And he'll use the nations around them to take him down a peg. In this case, he knows it's going to be short. Um, He also knows that Egypt is going to go up in flames during that time period. And so he says, don't go to Egypt. Yeah, there's a way out. Don't go. Just go over here. You know, the Babylonians will be much kinder masters for 70 years. And sure enough, they were. They were displaced. But they weren't, you know, it wasn't like some of the other, they weren't made slaves or like when they were in Egypt before and, you know, stuff like that. So, and and then in the meantime, back in verse 14 of chapter seven, here's the way God summarizes it. I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. Thus, the land is desolated behind them so that no one went back and forth for they made the pleasant land desolate. <clears throat> Yesterday, we've been studying Deuteronomy and, um, Back to what you were reading out of verse um, chapter seven, verses nine and 10. God is always trying to get his people to uh, pursue justice. And he, you know, he always says this about, you know, take care of the widow, look after the fatherless, you know, don't take advantage of the stranger who's traveling among you. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 20, it says to, to seek after justice. And the word that it uses in the Hebrew actually means like to pursue justice. That was to be their focus. They were supposed to be an extremely just people so that people would look at them, you know, Gentiles would look in and say, you know, I really admire the justice of what's going on in Israel. And I I just think that is very um, important because people often look at the Bible and are afraid of God, especially the Old Testament, et cetera. And yet his message over and over again was, Please take care of the fatherless and the widow, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff that on the surface seems like it would be very simple to do, but we still often have. I mean, you think about it, we have to. A lot of times we have to make special arrangements to be able to do that, and it seems like God would like it for us just be more of a natural thing for us. Well, like in the in the book of James, it he breaks it down pretty simply. He says, you know, true, true religion before God the Father is this. Take care of the widows and orphans and remain unspotted from the world. You know, like it, it, it just seems like it should it should be so simple. It's supposed to be so simple. 
Um, one of God's more colorful promises is, to my mind, is in Psalms, where it says, uh, David says, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in the land. Loving kindness and truth meet. Righteousness and peace kiss. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness, righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. So it's like, it, it's so interconnected to the mind of the worshiper. Like, you get into God's plan, you know, and then, and then how did it say that? Loving kindness and truth meet. Righteousness and peace kiss. Truth springs from the earth, right? And then, and then things are good. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. supposed to be that simple. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's taken most of my life to get to a point where I think I can understand this a little bit better. But why is it that we as a human race have such a hard time treating other members of the human race like people? You know, we, we've disparaged people over the years, over this millennia. For different reasons, uh, it seems like it always seems like there's some lesson we've got to learn of just treating people like people. I, I it, it's baffling because it's just like it's just, I don't know. To me, it's just like this here, where God is like, "This is all I want you to do. This is it's so simple. This is all I want you to do," and they couldn't do it, and they had to. They couldn't or wouldn't or whatever. I don't know. And they had to be, they had to be knocked down and, uh, it's just, it's baffling to me yet. I, I can attest that there have been times <laughs> in my younger life where I viewed other people. I did, didn't even occur to me to think that's a person, you know, which I know, I, strange? I, I'm not proud of that, but uh, you know, I guess and now that I'm in my fifties, I can look back and go, what a ridiculous point in my life, you know, right. you know, I think it's what we always go back to and it's, it's that self. It's it's the pitfall of of self. It's you always have to one up somebody else, and there always has to be somebody that's you know you want to feel is beneath you or that you have control over uh, the master of. And unfortunately, I think that's what we've done for the whole duration of world's history. Is there always had to be there always had to be that servant kind of master mentality where God is like, you know what? It doesn't have to be like that. Yeah, it doesn't but, have to be and shouldn't be. Yeah, it shouldn't be, but we just can't seem to get over it because there always has to be somebody that we need to feel superior to. Yeah. And and it's it's hard to get away from. I don't know if we'll ever get away from it. I don't um, know. But it's unfortunate. Yeah. I just noticed how many times in these minor prophets we run across the idea of you know, them taking advantage of the poor. And that was one of the sins that, you know, that God was punishing them for. And essentially it looks like a lot of it had to do with um, charging really high rents and that sort of thing. So I wonder how often in what are, what we're discussing right now, it's simply the love of money, you know, and nothing more complicated or glamorous psychologically than just, well, I'm going to take that guy's cash. You know, that kind of thing. So just a thought. Take yeah, that guy's cash. Yeah. Take that guy's cash or figure out some way to make extra cash off of that guy or mm -hmm. or something. Something like that. Well, I mean, what is it? The root of uh, the love of the, money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah, it's true. Um, what we were talking about last week with, um, you know, when the, when the queen had died and they had, they had announced her death and and like we were talking about the different this sort of era of world conquering where Britain was like this all-encompassing force of, of, oh man, all kinds of annihilation. But really, if you break that, you break that down and you look into, you look into basically every country on earth, you see division based on power. And, and so when I think of getting off point, off balance and self-centered, it's usually it usually is greed. Totally, totally agree with that. But I think it's greed for invulnerability. That's the way I would describe it. Like there's like some security. Of, it's some type of security. It's security because I'm over you. I have control of you. I'm better than you. 
I control the things that you need, therefore I can keep you in line, right? There's all these different aspects of it. And it's all based, it's a, it's a power grab. Absolutely, it's a power grab. It's based on greed, but at the root of it all, it seems to be based on fear. Like, oh my goodness, they're gonna come get me. I have to be able to defend. And in order to defend, I'm gonna offend, right? I'm gonna go on the offensive. The best defense is good offense. Is it the other way around? I can't remember. That's the way I'm going to use it today. And that's just the way that's been. That's the recurring theme that I notice when I look at the weird power grabs and the weird divisiveness that has been used in the world to pit us against each other. I don't know. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of it's the opposite of the gospel. You know, like where is it says in the Bible, it says give to everyone who asks of you. Oh my goodness, I'd be so broke. <laughs> Seriously, am I supposed to take that literally? Because in the circles where I walk, like I walk in the west side of town, which is where everyone's broke and half people are homeless and they for a lot of them use and it's not great. And and I you cannot walk down the street without ten people holding up a sign asking for money or approaching you. Hey, do you got a cigarette? You got a you got a dollar? You got a you I need a beer? Do you you know, on and on and on. It's like, oh my goodness, like give to every person who asks of you. Mm. That is sometimes, the exact opposite of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Sometimes I think those are, God puts those out, and this is just the gospel according to Matthew, uh, me, this Matthew, no. <laughs> the gospel according to this Matthew. But um, it seems to me like sometimes God puts those statements out like as an ideal. Because like you say, oh, if I gave everything away to everybody else, I'd be totally broke. But if everybody was doing that, then everybody would have anything, everything they needed. You know, that's the, that's well, and, the yet in, and yet in other places we're taught stewardship. Mm -hmm. Like when you have something, handle it well and use it to produce more and go to the ant thou sluggard. And, you know, there's the exact mm -hmm. opposite of that too. Be clever, be wise, invest your money, work hard, right? There's all of those things. So the blanket give is not a solution. Clearly it's not a solution when you look at the big picture of the gospel. Yeah. But well, and, and it's interesting, too, that in the New Testament, it says he who will not work should not eat. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like and, and, and then you get down to, well, do they not want to work or can they not work? You know, and, the, and then you get down to that. Oh, my goodness. You can slice this so thin. Oh, yeah. But, but all, my only point was where I walk, the day to day path that I walk, there is so much need that if I mm -hmm. gave to all of the need that I saw. I would be, I would have nothing left and there would still be people with their hand out. Yeah. Like it is unending. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where I, I see, I see when we talk about things like this, like God has, he has given us messages that some of our ideals and some are actual uh, potential solutions. Like, yes, give to everybody as they need. And if we were all doing that, it would be great. But because we're not all doing that, we also need to learn to be responsible with our resources so that we don't find ourselves destitute and unable to do anything even for ourselves. Well, I was uh, chapter eight is just beautiful. And I was wondering, Matt, if you want to read parts of it as we study that. And then the yes, other please. thing that popped into my mind as as we were talking was how Paul says, you know, did you used to steal well, I want you to find work so that you will have money so that you will have something to give to the poor. So it's still throughout even the New Testament. It's something where we're told to get our act together so that we can give. And I find that very interesting. Mm -hmm. Let's move into chapter eight then. Um, is there something specific you wanted me to read or? No, I just think it, it reads nicely enough that that it should be read rather than just discussed over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so keeping in mind then that chapter eight is in the, the context of the continuation of, of what we've just read in seven and what God would have for us for perfect religion, if you will, of taking care of each other. But then uh, he goes right into, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor. I am zealous for her. That right there is a, <sighs> That is a huge statement, I think, from God to mm -hmm. to claim zeal, to claim uh, 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 an enthusiastic attitude towards his people. 
mm-hmm. uh, because we have the world has gotten a picture of God that is so off base from what you actually read in scripture, where people have a concept that God is looking for a reason to squash them rather than for a reason to save them. And and God is saying here, and it's not the first time we've read that, where it's like God is saying, I love you so much. You have no concept of how how great I think you are, how awesome I think you are. Um, I, I think other translations we were reading a couple weeks ago, same word zeal. They were talking about God is jealous for for her, you know, and, and he's going to do whatever he's got to do to keep her out of the mire, out of the muck. And uh, so I think it's awesome. He talks about how he's going to return. He says, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. The mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with a staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Uh, To me, that's just talking about how it's talking about a prosperity. It's talking about a peace. It's talking about. You know, safety and safety. Mm -hmm. Your elderly aren't going to want to sit in the streets and kids aren't going to want to play in the streets unless it's a very safe place. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, that just brings mind to me just thinking of, you know, times driving to work anymore. And you see the the lines and lines and lines of cars dropping off their kids at school these days. How many of you guys remember the lines of cars dropping off the kids at school? Because the parents didn't feel like it was safe for their kids to walk to school. Nope. No, uh, we, we walked. Yep, walked. Yeah. My horse, rode a bike, rode a snowmobile, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's how times have changed. You hardly see any buses. That's, yeah. that's a thing of the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things, have, things have changed so much for our time where we don't feel safe having our children out in, <laughs> play, playing in the school, play in the street, kid. You know, but. As a kid, we played in the street. We'd play football out in the street, you know, whatever. We'd, mm-hmm. we'd be out there all the time. You'd see a car coming. You had the sense to get out of the way. But but now, these days, it's like you just don't – you worry about if your kid's even just going to get snatched up off the off the road. You know, tra- human trafficking is a disgusting thing right now, and it seems more prevalent than I ever remember it. Maybe it's only because I'm paying more attention to it these days. But, um, but this idea that – we're going to be prosperous enough to where the old people will be will be will be out because because they'll be able to get old and the kids will be able to be in the street because it'll be safe for them to be there. So I'll I'll keep the story quick. So when I moved from Alaska to Colorado, I was there for a few weeks, unpacked, got the kids started in high school, whatever, did the mom thing, got a job. Uh worked in the legal system and In my first week of work, uh, a lady uh, came in for some help and it was a it was a complex situation. And basically what had happened is her youngest daughter. So there was this one street that went between. So it was four lanes, two lanes going each way, center median, uh, sidewalk on each side and then big swaths of campus. There was a college preparatory high school on one side and a community college on the other side of the street. Okay, this girl was 14. She was walking down that street between two educational campuses. When a white van pulled up, she got snatched and she just disappeared. And there was not a single clue. She wasn't texting. She wasn't on the phone. When it happened, she just disappeared. And these these guys, it was two guys in the van, they had her for three weeks, three weeks of hell for her. And she came back broken. Now, without a single clue, law enforcement was somehow able to take the time of day, pull security camera footage footage from the two campuses and get enough of a clue, enough of a look at a vehicle or a license plate number or something. I don't even know what. But they were able to track these guys down and they got this girl back after three weeks. Now, her mother was relieved to have her back. She's still 14. She's got her daughter back. But that girl was never the same. She was a broken shell of a human after three weeks. People get trafficked for years. 
This girl was trafficked for three weeks and she came back. Uh, she was so full of rage. She attacked her own family. She got into drugs. She couldn't stay sober because she couldn't stand being sober because of what lived in her mind. She was never the same again. And she destroyed that family. And this mother, when I met her, was having to choose between do I keep my damaged daughter who has destroyed my family or do I let the state take her and I keep my other children? Because they were at a point where the state was not giving her a choice. That youngest daughter was wrecking the family in every way you can. And she, that mother was in the hard position of making a choice. Which child or children do I care for? Because my children cannot live together. Like what a dilemma. This is how, this is how nasty the world can get. And God is basically saying, I'm going to take all of that away. I'm going to give you prosperity and peace. And yes, absolutely security and safety. Your kids are going to run around in the streets without any problems. Your old people are going to sit around and everybody's going to be happy. And that is like, where do I get some of that? Yeah, and you know, it's that aspect of this that makes me feel like a lot of this chapter is speaking more of down the road, uh, more end times, New Jerusalem than, than um, you know, <laughs> Jerusalem of, you know, B.C. times. I think it's probably a little bit of both because didn't we just... Didn't we just read um, within the last week or two, there was a section where God said, you will be a city without walls because I will be your wall. Right. And I and I took that like they're in the process of rebuilding Jerusalem. So I took that to be both in the moment and then also a promise ahead. So the parts I liked was starting with verse 15. So again, have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah? Fear you not, mm -hmm. uh, for these are the things that you shall shall do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute judgment of truth and peace within your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your heart against his neighbor. And do not false, a false oath. You know, some of those things we still need. Uh, we, we live in a world of falsehood. People say what will push themselves forward so often. And I mean, how many of you just wish? I wish that I knew that everything around me was just the truth. Yeah. Um, you know, wouldn't that be helpful? Oh. Uh, both in a political sense and then also just in the workplace and in the family. I mean, in, in all aspects of our lives, if we could just be dealing with the truth, everything mm -hmm. would be so much simpler. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't have to constantly be wading through and examining things and and looking at what yeah just trying to instead of having to just find the truth if it was just given to us all the time it would make life so much easier well, well it is but only from god and that's yeah, exactly true. what we're seeing is anything you break mm -hmm. down to the human level gets corrupted Yep. And it's whether it's whether it's, you know, whatever is driving them, it is self-centered, whether they want the power over others or everybody's money or everybody's property or just control over what, you know, pick it, pick a topic. There are so many layers of dishonesty happening around us that it's just mind boggling. And that is at this point, the only thing I have faith in is God and the Bible. That is the only thing I have faith, absolute faith in anymore, because human Humanity is not doing well. Yeah. I love it. Clear down at verse 21 and then going through 23. <clears throat> um, the inhabitants of the city shall say to one another, let us go quickly. Let us go at once to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. And I will go also. So I know this, this woman named Tammy. And when I was younger, I used to think she was very silly and, um, I don't know how to describe it, but she was actually just a woman of profound faith. And her answer to everything was, oh, praise the Lord and let's pray. You know, and as I matured, actually, I, I want to be more like Tammy. Like when things are, I, I want to immediately turn to the Lord about any problem, no matter how small. Mm -hmm. I don't want to try to figure it out. And this is describing that same thing. If we would immediately or speedily turn to the Lord. Um, and then look what it says will happen in verse 23. Then 
people from outside the city, people of other languages and nations will take hold of the skirts of the Jew and say, um, we have heard that the Lord is among you. Can we come with you? Yeah. And that's what God had wanted. That's what God has wanted this entire time. He's like, I'm setting you aside as a special people so that the outsider can come to know me because I am your God. I love all of you, but we're in this broken world and I need somebody to be 100% mine so that other people can see I'm good and I'm kind and I still love you. And I just love that verse. That's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it reminds me of just yesterday's sermon about prayer, where, you know what, it it becomes, it's not that you, you're praying because you want something, it's, it's praying for that relationship with God each and every day that changes your whole outcome, um, your whole daily presentation just by that relationship that you have, that others see the peace that you have in that relationship, and I think that's ideally what we all strive for and and getting to that is is optimal you know to to fix you know from the ground level from self all the way to the world it's that that prayer relationship and that's what we need to get to that you we talk to god as he's our friend and our mentor and our salvation it's that relationship yeah no really relationship with god relationship with men well i mean really it's what the whole law of god is about right i mean as jesus said love love god with all your heart with all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself it really is supposed to be that simple but yet then god had to break it up into 10 10 individual commands or statements however you want to look at that to remind us of the things we needed to do yeah what does that look like right Mm-hmm. Yeah, a concept of what does it have to look like, and you know, we can get into a a tendency to want to break all those down and try to say this is specifically how that's supposed to look. And God, it just always appears to me like God is saying it is so much easier, so much simpler than than that. Don't try to complicate this thing. Just just be decent. Just just show just show love to each other. Just uh, show how, love to this me. is how the world will know that you are my disciples. By having mm. love one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's you know that's funny too because sometimes it seems like we have trouble even within the church within within Christianity. You know, we have we have denominational feuds. We have we have feuds within our congregations. We have feuds amongst our families. We're just you know we're we're as a race of people we are just not really good at being decent to each other and it's oh. it's so sad it's so sad that we have such a hard time doing that and it's baffling so the psychologist in me is just dying to bring this up yesterday i saw a woman argue and argue and argue and argue because people in an open discussion were not agreeing with her hard enough mm-hmm. Like her point of view, she said flat out, this is the devil's greatest deception. And then she was ready to argue it in the face of other deceptions that were people were bringing up. And it was like, really? Like that's, like you want to fight over that? It was very strange. <laughs> but I, I have this idea that the, com- the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, gets weird if you also don't know how to love yourself. If your entire idea of love is skewed and it's based on selfish, mm, I hesitate to use the word, but it's the closest one I can think of, selfish lusts that are based on this world here and now instead of this greater idea of yourself as a child of God who has a place in his kingdom and a work to do here on earth in order to be his hands and feet and work well with the body of Christ to be a city on a hill and a a light that is not hid under a bushel and the salt of the earth and all of the things that we're called to be, right? If we had an actual view of ourself in that way, our love of ourself would be a decent starting place on how to judge how we treat each other. <laughs> you mm. see the problem? Mm-hmm. So if, you know, Satan has done a really good job through sin of making us self-centered to the point of not even understanding what love is anymore. 
And therefore, how on earth are we supposed to love each other? That gets messy. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of love are skewed through many different things. Yeah. Yeah. I used to go to synagogues a lot, especially when I lived out near San Francisco. And um, I remember on Yom Kippur one year, I was in the the big synagogue near the Presidio. And the rabbi said the most interesting thing. Um, She said that the we have to remember, let's see, it's like an old rabbinic saying, remember that thou art but dust. And then she said, but remember, the universe was created for your sake. And I think that sort of captures everything that you were just trying to say. Like, that's the right perspective. Um, That is 100% the right perspective because um, God made all of this for us. And yet we're so fragile. And I I just, I really love that statement because it it really embraced for me what God's trying to say to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. There's these passages in the Bible that say, you know, God does not judge us as he should. He judges us with mercy because he remembers that we are dust, right? What is yes, man but exactly. a blade of grass that withers away in the sun? You know, blah, blah, blah. What are you, what are you but a wisp of wind? You know, there's all these things. Yes, and yet exactly. you're also a child of God with infinite value who is being avidly pursued by your creator and the devil. Yes, you are the... Yeah, you're the desired thing of both of those. <laughs> and so and so yes, in our current form, we are flawed dust, and yet we have a call, we have a purpose, and we are to be a kingdom of priests. So it's complicated. Just that back to 8 verse 23. I just I want that to be the thing for our church. Like I want our church to be the kind of place where people take hold of us and say, wait, wait, can I talk to you? Uh, I heard that God was among you. Like, Mm -hmm. isn't that awesome? That is such a great line. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, and that that won't happen until, until we can all understand that, that we are all on a more level playing field than we think we are. We, we, and I don't mean just about our congregation. I just mean humanity in general. But we mm-hmm. we just have this idea. Oftentimes, I'm I I know that I'm constantly guilty of it, and I constantly have to check myself on it. But of of feeling like there are tiers of humanity, and oh, some are better than others. Sometimes it's because of economic status. Sometimes it's because of social status. Uh, so uh, any number of reasons. But we but if we stop and we read passages like this and understand that we are all actually very very level i mean it's it's very even when it gets to the things that really matter and if we would just treat each other decently just treat each other like we are fellow human beings that you know and 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 our base our all of the basic things of us are the same we're born we grow old, we get colds, we go to the bathroom, we sweat. Eventually, if Jesus doesn't come first, we all die. You know, everything else is just the story of how we get there. But ultimately, we're all the same. And we forget that and try to try to either raise ourselves up over others or try to squash others down. What is it? Isn't it in First Samuel? It says... Um... The Lord looketh on, I mean, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know, like he mm-hmm. sees the individual man's worth, the individual person's worth. And, you know, we have all these tiers that you said, you know, or these levels that we put people on. But the Lord sees the value of each person as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say he sees he sees the value on a different scale than we do. And he sees the sin on a different scale than we do. We have, we have our own very comfortable self-serving way of scaling sin. So Mm -hmm. that mine is never quite as bad as yours. Right. And living in, living in societies made up of only humans, you kind of need to do that because certain sins don't impact your neighbor. Right. Certain sins like maybe you're maybe you shouldn't be doing that, but you're kind of pretty much only hurting yourself. So in a society of humans with humans, 
yeah, I can see why we've scaled sin as far as like what you're allowed to do or what you're not allowed to do or how you're punished. I get that. But since we're stuck in this society, we tend to lose sight of the spiritual community, in which case all sin is equal and all humans are equal. You know, there's equal value in spite of behavior and there's equal weight on your sins. So that's a little crazy. But back to this, I, I, I want to reread this, this section in chapter eight, because I think I just think this bears repeating and I'm going to go another verse or two further than we did before. These are the things, this is starting in 816. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. And do not love perjury, for all of these are what I hate, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. So love truth and peace. Sounds simple, Amen. doesn't it? Amen. It sounds, simple. <laughs> sounds so simple. Yet we're so, well, I would say incapable. We're not incapable. We are unlikely. Distracted and blind. Yeah, we're unlikely to do it because, yeah, we're distracted and blind. And yeah. Yeah, yeah double knows what he's doing. Mm hmm. Yep. So that's, I guess, our encouragement is to follow. It, the, the, chapter eight really was a fantastic chapter. Yeah, it really was. Because mm -hmm. it really does just put out, it reiterates, I guess I should say again, what we have read so often, which is our value in God's eyes uh, and the value that we should be placing on each other and the ways we should be treating each other and that really is the basis of, if you want to call it religion, uh, it's it's something so simple, and we try to complicate it. We do complicate it all the time. You know, we'll get into we can get into debates of what it means to love each other, and and um, well, that's because well, you don't know, and I have to correct you, Matt. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But and then that fascinating aspect, like you were talking about, too, Karen, of people that don't know how to even love themselves. And that's right. a that's a really disheartening aspect of the whole thing is if you if you don't even if you have been put down and sometimes this is because of the humanity, the uh, the rest of humanity around us. If you have been put down so much that your own. Your own value is skewed in your own eyes how how are you able to convey real love to anybody else uh, and it's it's saddening it's disheartening we see it all around us people that don't know how to love themselves and therefore they don't know how to love anyone else and i guess i guess from our perspective the only thing we can do is just try to remember people are people and uh and we should we should treat them accordingly what's the song from um Oh, from the 80s. Who was it? People are people. And why should Tears it be that? Yeah. You, well, I don't think it's Tears for Fears, but people are people. Why should it be that you and I should treat each other uh, so awfully? So awfully. I got it wrong. But um, but yeah, yeah, should get along so awfully. And uh, so, you know, we have a I think everybody knows everybody knows that we should treat each other well. Um but a lot of times we do that and go, you everybody should treat each other well, and especially you, you should be treating people better, you know. And we point the fingers like as if as if one person is any better, as if we're any better at it than anybody else. And you get right down to the core of it, and we're all we all tend to not not be what we should. Depeche mode. There you go. Depeche mode. Yes. Was it really? Yes. Yeah. 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 Maybe I'll put a link up on the on the Facebook page for that one. <laughs> we'll get a little 80s, big 80s in there. A little 80s flair. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is probably our time for this week, unless you guys had something else you wanted to add. So next week, we will continue on in the book of Zechariah. We're, we're, uh, 
we've been finding ourselves unable to predict how how much we're going to study every week but i think it's kind of awesome because we're we're really getting some good stuff out of this so next week we will continue with zechariah chapter nine so listeners be reading in nine and well just keep just keep reading and studying and uh <laughs> when uh, we join you next week we'll start with Zechariah chapter 9 maybe we'll go a few chapters we'll see um, we had planned to go through 11 this week but obviously that didn't happen so uh, but anyway while you're reading that and waiting for us remember you can reach out to us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org you can look us up on Facebook maybe I'll have a little Depeche Mode on there for you we'll see and uh, make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors and be sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that we reach you in your feed each and every week we look forward to talking to you again next week thanks for listening